So we welcome you. This is message number three in our series that we've entitled Vital Signs. Our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 John, we're studying the vital signs or the indicators of spiritual life, the indicators that show us we possess eternal life. Key verse in 1 John is the purpose verse, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? You may know you have eternal life. That's why 1 John was written to give us the assurance, the certainty that we indeed possess everlasting life. How do we know we possess physical life? Well, we look at our physical vital signs, our pulse, our breathing. How do we know we possess spiritual life? Well, the same thing. You look at your spiritual vital signs. So far, we've looked at two vital signs that 1 John points out. They are true of all Christians. If you are alive spiritually, these things are true of your life. Number one is fellowship. All Christians experience fellowship with God and other believers, this union with God and other believers. Second is walking in the light. All Christians experience a pattern of living close to the light, Jesus, and far from darkness, which is sin. And then this morning, we look at the third vital sign and it's one word, and that word is Christ-likeness. Can you repeat that after me? Christ-likeness. So how do you know if you're a Christian? The answer is simple. Do you act like Jesus? Are you like a little Christ? I wonder if you know what took place 2,000 years ago uh, at the city of Antioch in Syria. Does anyone know what took place there? That's where the disciples were first called what? Christians. You can read it in Acts 11.26. And and, and, and in Syria of Antioch, the people were seeing these Christians. And they were like trying to figure out what to call them. And do you know what Christian literally means? It means little Christ. And they were like, these people are like little Christs. And that's the word Christian. If you're a Christian... If you're saved, you're going to be like Jesus. It's a sign. It's a spiritual vital sign. You know, there's a story about a man who uh, recently he moved uh, from the city where he grew up his whole life to a farm that he actually inherited. And as he's trying to figure out, you know, what farm life is like, uh, he actually ran into quite a predicament. He was trying to figure out if one of the animals was a duck. And he didn't quite know, is this a duck, is it a goose, is it what? So he called, a, you know, a kind of a veteran farmer, an older farmer, and he said, how do I know if this animal is a duck? And, and the farmer replied, he says, well, does it look like a duck? He said, well, yeah. Does it waddle like a duck? And he said, well, yeah. Does it swim like a duck? And he said, yeah. Does it quack like a duck? He said, yeah. And the old farmer said, then it's probably a duck. Well, do you talk like Jesus? Do you act like Jesus? Do you respond like Jesus? You probably belong to Jesus, if that's the case. Christ-likeness, it's a vital sign, spiritually, that you're a Christian, that you're saved. There's no such thing as a Christian who has no or zero resemblance to Jesus Christ. I mean, that would be a contradiction. If you're genuinely saved, you will resemble Jesus. You'll be like Jesus, and you'll be becoming more like Jesus as time goes on. Look at Romans 8, 29. It's on your outline. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. As a Christian, you are predestined, determined beforehand that you would become like Jesus. If you are not becoming like Jesus, you have to question, am I saved? Am I one of the predestined ones? Hmm. Let's read about the vital sign of Christ's likeness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, through chapter, or through verse 11. We know, there's that, we know that assurance that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Truth is not in him. 
But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, Christ-likeness. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Whatever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Now, out of this scripture, let's look this morning at three, three facts about Christ-likeness that are true of all Christians. That's what this scripture reveals. Three facts about Christ-likeness that will be true about you if you are a Christian. Number one, Christ-likeness is obeying God as Jesus did. So the question here is, do you obey God like Jesus did? Not perfectly, but is there a pattern, a general pattern in your life of obedience to God the Father like Jesus showed obedience to God the Father? One of the greatest indicators of Christ's likeness is obedience to God. Think about Jesus. He was completely obedient to God the Father. If I were to use one word to describe Jesus in his relationship with God the Father, it's no question, it's obedience. He obeyed God. He was completely obedient to God the Father's commands, to God the Father's word and will. There's some scriptures here I've given you on your outlines. John 6, 38, Jesus said this. He said this, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Wow. That's why I'm here. Let me ask you a question. Why are you here? Is it to do... Uh, the will of him who sent you? Awesome. <laughs> that shows you're like Jesus. Does God's will for your life win out over your will? See, for a non-Christian, their will always wins out over God's will. If you're saved, God's will will be winning over your will. That shows you're being obedient. You know, a mother was preparing some pancakes for her sons. She had one son. His name was Kevin. He was five. And the other, his name was Ryan. He was three. And the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake, you know. So their mother, she sees this opportunity to teach a spiritual lesson to the boys. And so she said this. She said, hey, if Jesus were sitting here right now, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake and I can wait. So Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, uh, you be Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes it's not being e easy being Jesus, right? Because being like Jesus is being obedient to the Father and sometimes dying to your will. And is that you? Are there moments when you're dying to yourself and obeying God? Wow. Jesus said, John 14, 31, I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. See, that's Christ's likeness, doing exactly what God commands us. Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus said, yet not my will, but yours be done. Let me ask you a few additional questions. Just on a scale of 1 to 10, scale 1 to 10, I mean, how passionately do you want to obey God? See, watch this. If you're not a Christian, you don't want to obey God at all. If you're a Christian... You have a passion to want to obey God. When you read the Bible, do you want to obey God's word after you've read it? That shows you're saved. If in fact that's your heart. See, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. Old things pass away. And behold, all things become new. One of the things that becomes new is your passion, your willingness, desire to obey God like Jesus obeyed God. The Baltimore Catechism gives this classic answer to the purpose of life. It says this, God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in heaven. Is that you? Do you want to know him and love him and serve him? 
if that's you, you're saved. Because you're saying, I want to be obedient to God. I want to follow God the Father. Mark Batterson is uh, one of my favorite authors. He's written a book called All In, which is really a book about being all in and following Jesus. But he says something here that has really, really got my attention. And I want to share it with you. He says, most people in most churches think they are following Jesus. And he says, I'm not sure. They may think they are following Jesus, but the reality is this. They have invited Jesus to follow them. Oh, Jesus, just follow me and bless me. Be behind me as I I do my thing. Oh, I want you close to me. I want all the perks. But see, I'm going this direction, following my will. Would you just be close to me? He says this, let me ask you this question. Who is following who? Are you following Jesus? Or have you inverted the gospel by inviting Jesus to follow you? See, one of the signs that you are a Christian is that you are following Jesus. Not that you've invited Jesus to follow you. You have to search your heart. Only you can answer this fundamental question about those who possess spiritual life. They're like Christ. They follow Jesus. Now, let me give you three observations about obedience. And this is all going to be related to our salvation, our assurance of our salvation. Number one, obedience, you see, leads to confidence. Look at verse 3, 1 John 2, 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Notice John says we know. He doesn't say we hope, we think, we imagine. No, we know. And that word know, it's the present tense form of the verb gnosko, which literally means we continually receive assurance of our salvation by experience as we obey, we know we are saved. You see, when you and I can point to areas in our own lives where we are obeying God over obeying our selfish inclination, that gives assurance, confidence, certainty that we are saved. External obedience on the outside is objective evidence that the internal reality of salvation has taken place in our lives. That's what John is saying. We know, we've come to know him if we obey his commands. I know I've come to know him if I follow Jesus. Not if I'm asking Jesus to follow me. But if I'm following him and I'm following his commands, that is the evidence that truly I'm saved. Second, disobedience leads to doubt. Look at verse 4. The man who says, I know him, I have a relationship with God, but does not do what God commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. In other words, we can claim we're Christians all we want. But if we look at our life, and there's no evidence of obeying God's word and will and way, we have to ask ourselves, are we really saved? Disobedience leads to doubt. Why? Because disobedience is the number one trait of a non-Christian. A a non-Christian who's not saved, a person who's unregenerated, their life is a life of disobedience. It's a life, their God is themselves. They're not following Jesus as Lord. They are their own God. They're following their way, not God's way. James says in chapter 2, verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You can claim you have faith, but if there's no deeds, if there's no obedience, well, that's dead. That's just a false claim, and that's what John is saying. And we're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. We are saved unto obedience. And a believer who has the Holy Spirit within their life will be obeying God. It's his nature, her nature. Third observation about obedience. Obedience leads to completeness. Verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, look at this truth. God's love is truly made complete in him. You see, obedience to God's word leads to the completeness of God's love being formed in our lives. If you show me a man or a woman who obeys or, or really loves like Jesus... I'll show you a man or woman who has chosen to be obedient to God's word. You see, biblical love is not a feeling. It's a choice, a choice to be obedient to God. Does that make sense? 
Love today, you know, in our culture, not agape love that the Bible is talking about. Love in our culture is a feeling. Oh, I feel this. No, no, no. Biblical love is a commitment. It's obedience. You, for example, you look at the greatest chapter in, of love, 1 Corinthians 13, right? 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Those are not feelings. When you show that you're not proud in relation to your wife, that you're patient and kind, that is a choice you're making. It's a choice to be obedient. An amazing statement and promise about biblical love, which is incredible, is in just John chapter 14, verse 23. I'm just going to read it here. This is amazing scripture. It says this. I mean, how God cherishes the believer who's obedient to God's word and loves others, John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. God finds a believer who loves him and loves people and is obedient to carrying out his commands. Let me tell you, God just makes his home within that person. Does this mean a Christian will perfectly love and obey God? Nope. But there will be a pattern in our lives of obedience and love that give evidence that we are, in fact, saved. All right. So Christ-likeness is obeying God like Jesus did. Not perfectly, but there's a pattern. So let's talk about this at our tables. Can you share one way you find yourselves obeying God like Jesus did? Go for it. Talk about it. Thirty seconds. Okay, we are looking at the vital sign of Christ-likeness that gives evidence that we have eternal life. We've said so far, Christ-likeness is obeying God like Jesus did. Second is this, Christ-likeness is walking as Jesus did. Look at verse 5, the end of it, through verse 6. Again, this is how we know we are in Him. In other words, this is how we know we have eternal life. This is how we know we're a Christian. Whoever claims to live in Him... Whoever claims to be a Christian, you've got to walk as Jesus did. Your life is going to be like walking like Jesus. So as you go through life, are you walking like Jesus walked? Not perfectly, but is there a pattern? Is there a resemblance? That's the point. Here's the great thing. We don't have to wonder, you know, how did Jesus walk? How did he live? What did he say? What did he not say? How did he respond? What were his priorities? You don't have to ask that. Because there's, some, there's four books in the Bible called the Gospels that are our in-living color portrayals of Jesus' life. And all you need to do is pick up any book of the Gospels, go to any chapter and read it and say, is this me? Am I becoming more like this, like Jesus? Are you like him? That's really the point, you know? 
When I was a kid in Sunday school, uh, we started attending here in fifth grade, and maybe it was earlier than fifth grade at another church. I can't remember. But we would sing a song. If you're saved, then you know it. You know, clap your hands. Remember that? If you're saved, then you know it. Raise your hands. And it would say, if you're saved, then you know it, then your life will what? Really show it. That's the whole point of this whole scripture right here. If you're saved and you want to know it, your life's going to show it. If your life doesn't show it, you've got to say, do you have the genuine item in your heart or is it just religion? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? That is going to come out in your life, the way you walk, the way you talk. You're going to be like Jesus. Now, I want to give you five obvious things about Jesus' walk. These things are found numerous times through the Gospels. You can't escape it. I mean, if you were to boil Jesus' life down to maybe five things, these are the most predominant things that we see Jesus doing. Number one, Jesus prayed. Everywhere you see him praying. I've given you a few scriptures. Mark 135, when it's early in the morning, he got up and he prayed. What about you? Do you wake up in the morning and talk to God? If yes, you're probably saved. If no, I mean, that's what Jesus did all the time. I mean, can you go days and weeks without ever talking to God? Really? You've got to think about what's going on. Are you really saved? Uh, in Luke 6.12, I mean, he spent the whole night in prayer before he chose his disciples. Luke 11.1, 1, he prayed so much his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, can you please teach us how to pray? Matthew 6.9, he gave the disciples prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 14.19, before he ate five, or fed 5,000 people, he prayed, blessing the food. Matthew 7, or John 17, this high priestly prayer that's amazing. You can read it. It's, all, it's an entire prayer of Jesus. Matthew 26, 36, in the garden, he prays three times. You know, incredible. His whole life, so much prayer. Second, Jesus preached. In Mark 138, he said, we need to go to other towns. That's why I've come, to preach. And you know what he preached? Good news. It was all about good news. So my question to you is this. I'm not saying, are you a preacher like me or Larry? I'm saying, do you tell the good news to people? <laughs> That's what we're called to give. Does out of your mouth come the good news of salvation, the greatest news of all? You could not keep Jesus quiet about this. In Luke 4.18, he said, God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Matthew 5-7 to gives us the Sermon on the Mount. Luke 23.43, even there, the thief on the cross... He's preaching even from the cross. He's telling the good news. In your environment where you're at, does the good news come out? That just shows you're saved. Just shows you have a spiritual life. Thirdly, Jesus cared, Matthew 9, 36. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because he saw them harassed like sheep without a shepherd. When you see people and the crowds of people, does your heart go out to them? That is such an indication you have a spiritual life. Mark 1, 41, he healed a leper. Mark, John 5, 5, he healed a man that was paralyzed for 38 years. John 8, ministered to a woman caught in adultery. His heart went out for her. John 9, he healed a man blind from birth. And it goes on and on and on. Jesus' compassion, his heart, he cared. Another, Jesus gave. Oh, did he give. He gave of his time, his talent, his treasure. Ultimately, he gave of his blood. Jesus said this in, in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Is your life about serving? Do you see yourself giving? That's an indication you have spiritual life. You are like Jesus because you're walking like he did. Jesus also forgave. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's on the cross. And he's saying these words, is that your life? Are these five things... This is Christ-likeness when in our lives, as we walk through life, these things emerge. Not perfectly, but there's a pattern. These things just naturally emerge. You see, if you're saved and you know it, your life will really show it. You can't hold these things down. They emerge because you have spiritual life within you. And one of the great benefits of walking like Jesus walked is confidence. Confidence. Assurance, certainty of your own salvation. That is the whole point 
of verse 5 and 6. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And as you walk as Jesus did, guess what? You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. It gives evidence that truly you're born again by the Spirit of God. All right, let's talk about that. Can you share one way you find yourself walking like Jesus walked? Go ahead and talk about that. Go for it. Thirty seconds. All right, we're looking at the vital sign of Christ-likeness, indicating we possess eternal life. A person that is eternal life, spiritual life, is like Christ. And they obey God as Jesus did, not perfectly, but there's a pattern. They walk as Jesus did, not perfectly, but there's a pattern. And third fact about Christ-likeness that's true of all Christians, Christ-likeness is loving others as Jesus did. So the question in your heart, am I loving Others the way Jesus did. Now, why is loving others an indicator of Christ-likeness? I mean, loving people is probably one of the greatest attributes of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says, Dear friends, John writes, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. So here's the question. What is this old command that John is talking about? Well, it's the message, it says that in verse 7, it's the message the Jews had heard from the beginning. And by the context of this, we know the old command is love one another. This command was repeated throughout the Old Testament in numerous places. I've given you one example there in Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then John says something that seems contradictory. Did you catch it? At the beginning of verse 8, he says, Dear friends, or verse 7, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command. And then look at verse 8. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Well, that seems strange. What's he saying? Well, look at verse 8. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. John is saying, I'm not writing you a new command in the sense that you've never heard this command before. However, this command to love one another is new in two distinct ways. And this is very fascinating and very awesome. So the question here becomes, how is the old command to love one another new? And there are two ways. First, its truth is seen in him Jesus, that's what he's saying in verse 8. I am writing you, though, a new command, even though you've heard this before, love one another. And it's truth, though, the real truth of this command is seen in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about it. We now have, since the incarnation, God in human flesh, Christ coming to earth in the flesh, we now have 
the ultimate example of what it looks like to love one another, whereas we never had that before. In that sense, the old command is absolutely new. new. We have Jesus now to look at in the Gospels and go, that's what God means by loving one another. It's seen in Jesus. So let me illustrate this for you. Uh, I want to take you back to when Jesus spoke about the new commandment for the first time in history. But let me set it up this way. Um, What would you do if you knew you only had this day to live? Let's pretend it's night. It's afternoon. It's 6 p.m. And what would you do from 6 p.m. on if you knew you only had this would be your last night on planet Earth before actually you would be executed? What would you do? I I think I'd probably gather my family around me. I'd want to have prayer. I'd want to have dear friends around me. Please pray. Maybe try to enjoy maybe a favorite meal. I don't know. But it would be intimate. And you know what? It would be about probably me. That's so unlike Jesus. I'm so selfish. You see, when you begin to understand the context of John chapter 13, take your Bibles, turn to John 13, the whole thing changes. Turn to John 13. You have to remember, this is the last night. And Jesus knew this. It was just before the Passover. Passover. Feast. Now, this is Thursday night when Jesus would be arrested and betrayed. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Are you kidding me? Me? I'd want the full extent of my disciples' love to be shown to me if this is my last night. But here's when Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Guys, I'm going to now show you the full extent of my love. Wow. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The lowliest of all things Jesus is doing on the last night He would be on earth before he would be crucified. And the disciples are even unwilling to love Jesus by washing the Lord, the Messiah's feet. And Jesus, knowing all things, do you see what's going on? This is a new love. Look at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, though, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set for you guys an example that you should do as I've done for you. Look, verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. He's going to the cross. A new command, there it is, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus has loved you. Wife, love your husband as Jesus loved you. People, love your enemies as Jesus loved his enemies. It's a new command seen in Jesus. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. How is this command to love one another new? Jesus' example gives us the true meaning of what it means to love one another. God's love has no limitations. It's unconditional. It's selfless. It's humble. It's sacrificial. It's tender. You see, the Old Testament taught the duty of love. (laughs) But Jesus taught the grace of love, the extent of love, the mercy of love, the unconditional, there is no limit to love. Wow. It's extravagant. It's excessive. It knows no boundaries. It's the love of Jesus. And it's new, this new command, because it's seen in Christ. Wow. 
There's a second way the old commandment is new, though. Its truth is not only seen in Jesus, but its truth also is seen in you as a Christian. Because that's what verse 8 says. I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The command to love one another is also new because its Christ-like manifestation lives through believers like you, like me. And it's awesome to behold. Think about it. Believers now have the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives as Christians, giving us the power to love like Jesus loved. And in that sense, it's new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. And now there's this new love, the love of Christ in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit that emerges, that knows no boundaries. At salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 6.19, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Holy Spirit produces spiritual fruit. And the greatest of all spiritual fruit is love. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so what we see today is Christ-like love manifests through Christians that is absolutely new and beyond what the Old Covenant and Old Testament knew. I'm amazed at the Christ-like expressions of love that come through God's people, that God wells up in a believer's life and overflows to others. Even Romans 5, 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. As you come to know Christ, when you came to know Christ, is there a new love in your life? This is what God does when you are saved, truly saved. Let me try to share with you a story, and I hope this comes off right. This is in no way like trying to point out, wow, Mark, you're so amazing. No, no, no. This is all about how God is amazing. But when I came to know Jesus, my parents are here. They could tell you how selfish and self-centered and full of pride I was prior to knowing Jesus. I mean, you would not have recognized me. The difference that Jesus has made in my life is, is beyond what words could describe. And when I came to know Christ, I mean, God began to form in me a love for people a love for God first, but then a love for people that I just could not believe. It was unbelievable. I looked at people different. I truly had a love for them. And that comes to a Christian who's born. That was spiritual life at work in my life. And I'm going to Bible college. That's a long story how I got there. And, and, and you have to know, when, when I came to know Jesus, I just fell in love with this book. And I was quite the serious student. I just devoured the Bible. I could not wait for any classes that taught the Bible. I was in the front row just seeping everything possibly up. And I'm still that way. I love the Word of God, as you well know. But I'm at this Bible college, and, and there was this event. I, wasn't, I didn't live on campus. I was actually serving at the church at the time. Uh, I was pastoring. I mean, I probably maybe was pastoring too soon, <laughs> Uh, but I had so much passion, the church saw that, and, and they put me in a role serving in the high school ministry. But as I'm going to school, uh, there was this event. It was a couple skate. They did it once a year, a couple skate. I didn't know Tracy at this time, and uh, I, I wasn't interested in going. But there was a girl at this Bible college that I saw always sitting by herself. I say this sensitively, but she was not attractive. She was very large. She just... And she was alone, and I saw her, and I would, I would talk to her. And truly, God gave me a love for her, just a love as a sister, you know? And I was, this skate was, to me, it was nonsense. It was just like, but I could sense the Lord saying, Mark, you need to take her. And I'm like, yes, that would be the loving thing to do. And so I invited her to the skate. I took her to the skate, and, and what a lesson it was. Um, the reason, the, the reason I share that story with you is this reason. The old Mark would never have done that. The old Mark stiff-armed and never talked to those kind of girls. I'm sorry. He would never humble himself, so to speak. And it was weird going to a skate with all Christians when I felt like I was completely not even looked at because of who I was with. Are you following me? 
What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus did something in my life, and he's still doing it in my life. You see, this is 1 John, right here, verse 8. I am writing you a new command. The truth, it's seen in him and in you because the darkness of not loving people, Mark, is passing away. And the true light of loving others in an extent you could never imagine is now shining. That is a believer. God's love emerges. The darkness of shunning people and not loving people and not forgiving people and not caring, it begins to die. And a beautiful love that knows no boundaries for others begins to emerge. That is spiritual life, my friend. Is that in your soul? If so, you are saved and you can know it. That's what First John is saying. Not perfectly will you live this out. But there's a pattern that begins to emerge. You know, I came across an article here just a bit ago. kind of blew me away. It's called, titled, Seeing My Son's Murder. And it It's about Robert Smith. He's a pastor, and he writes very openly. He says this, My son Tony, who was working at a restaurant, had been shot during an attempted robbery. I desperately asked God to save Tony's life and glorify himself. I had great aspirations for my son Tony. My prayer was that Tony be spared so he could serve God. But an hour later, another phone call came and informed us that he was dead. And my heart broke. During the trial, I saw the back of Tony's murderer, then a young man just 18 years old. Following our son's murder, the question God asked me was, do you really believe what you preach? For 44 years, I have preached about the forgiveness Jesus extends to those who would even bring pain to different lives. Though the wound... To my heart is still open. I have forgiven Tony's murder. I ask prayer warriors to pray for me as I prepare to write the young man and to pray that he would respond affirmatively and ultimately add my name to the visitors list so that I could come to him in person and tell him that Jesus loves him and forgives him, and so do I. After nearly two years, I finally mailed that letter. He added me to his visitor's list in 2014. Soon, by God's grace, I will see that young man whose face was the last face our son saw before standing in the presence of the Lord. I will offer that young man the forgiveness that Christ offers to me and to all who will believe. This is the darkness passing and the light of God's love emerging even in a father who knows Jesus. This is spiritual life. So, a few questions. In your life, is there the characteristic of this love emerging? Can you and I point to areas in our own life where we're loving others the way Jesus did? External love gives evidence that the internal reality of salvation has taken place. It is evidence of spiritual life. Now notice, if you would, how John concludes this section on the importance of loving others. He, he says some really interesting things in verses 9 uh, through 11. He says this, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light, you claim to be a Christian, but the, the opposite of love dominates your life, but hates his brother, and the brother here is a Christian. You claim to be a Christian, but you hate Christians. He says, you're still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother, and the brother here is a Christian, whoever loves, though, a Christian, lives in the light. That means you have a relationship with God. And there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I don't know what it was like for you when you didn't know Jesus, but all I can do is speak for my own self. When I didn't know Christ, darkness reigned. I did not like Christians. I despised Christians. There were some Christians I hated. You want to know why? Because they exposed my sin. They made me felt uncomfortable, ultimately. That gives evidence that I was unsaved. 
people, most likely, if you hate Christians, you're watching this on video or whatever, if you really despise Christians, that is a deep, look at ISIS. Look at these, this is evidence. People don't know Jesus. They're without spiritual life when you literally hate Christians who represent Jesus. Hmm. But I'll tell you, everything changed for me July 27, 1981. Verse 10 became true for me when spiritual life entered. Whoever, though, loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in, in him to make him stumble. Nothing that will cause you to stumble, to question your salvation when you live in the light and you love Christians. That's an evidence you have spiritual life within. So do you love other Christians? It's a question. Christ-likeness is loving others as Jesus did. All right, talk about that. Can you share one way you find yourselves loving others as Jesus did? Go for it. Thirty seconds. Okay, this morning we've looked at the third vital sign Christ likeness. Is your life characterized by Christ likeness? Okay, it's a little time here to. Take a little spiritual test. Time to do a little self-evaluation as we do in all of this. We've said Christ-likeness is really three things. How do you know you're living like Christ? Three things, First John says. It's obeying God like Jesus did. It's walking like Jesus did. And loving others as Jesus did. Not perfectly, but there's a pattern. So 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So these three things will be true of us if we are Christians. If genuinely God's Spirit lives in our life, we have eternal life, these things will be emerging. If you're saved and you know it, your life will really show it. These three things, are they true of your life? Only you can answer this. This is a question about your heart. What's emerging in your life from the inside? Are you obeying God as Jesus did? Is that a pattern? Or have you just invited Jesus to follow you? Or are you following him, truly? Are you walking as Jesus did? You know, do the things that characterize Jesus' life, like praying and preaching and caring and giving and forgiving, is that a pattern in your life? Is that just emerging? And, And are you loving as Jesus did as well? Now, again, all believers fall short of perfection. There's no perfection here. But the pattern emerges, and that pattern of Christ-likeness gives evidence that we, in fact, are saved. Born again, we have spiritual life. And again, we come back to 1 John 5.13, the whole purpose of the book. I write these things to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. The whole purpose of the book of 1 John is to give us the knowledge, the confidence, the assurance that we, in fact, possess eternal life. So I ask you this. If Christ-likeness characterizes your life, guess what? You can know without an absolute certainty that you are saved. And if Christ-likeness doesn't characterize your life, great news. 
Believe on Jesus today. Receive his eternal life. Become a new creation in Christ Jesus and begin because you will then have the power and the spiritual life to do it to obey God as Jesus did, to walk as Jesus did, and to love others as Jesus did, showing the world that you truly belong to him because you do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you change our lives when we believe upon you. You make us into new people. You give us the grace and power to obey as Jesus obeyed and to walk as you walked and to love Jesus as you loved. And it's truly a miracle, Lord. We don't do this perfectly. We grow, but there's a pattern of Christ-likeness that characterizes our lives. And if that pattern characterizes our lives, Lord, I just pray that you would grant assurance and confidence of our salvation. If Christ-likeness doesn't characterize our lives, we're like, Lord, this isn't me then give us the grace to admit that, to agree with you this is not who we are, and to believe on you, Jesus, today to receive you, the eternal life you offer, that will then give us the grace and the power and the strength to obey you and walk like you did and love as you did, showing the world that truly we are your children, possessing eternal life. You take a moment and just talk to the Lord about what he's talked to you about this morning. Just take a moment. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer. Thank you for what you've done through your word in our lives today. Lord, I ask that you would answer every single prayer. Bless your people, Lord. Bless families here, marriages here. Those who are single here. It doesn't matter where we're at in life. We're all the family of God. But Lord, I just pray your touch, your blessing on each one. If there's those that have come to faith today, believed on Jesus, Lord, may you assure them they are born again by your Spirit. And these things will begin emerging. And Lord, we desire you to be greater in our lives in all these areas. So lead us by your grace and power to be more obedient, to more walk like you, Jesus, to more love like you. This is our passion. And we know it's only by your grace that you can allow this to happen. So do your work for your glory. Thanks again for our time. In Jesus' name, everyone said?